Amen. Thank you, choir, praise band, orchestra, Noah. After missing the choir for a couple of weeks, it was good to have the choir back up this morning. Thank you guys for your ministry in our church. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Today we finish up this series from Genesis 1 through 11. And I hope for those who struggle with belief in God, maybe even you know some folks who are more atheistic, I hope that as we've gone through Genesis 1 through 11 that your, your faith has been affirmed and for those who maybe have not placed their faith in Christ or even believe that there is a God that you're able to see this incredible story of how God created the world. It's this historical story, this uh, story that we have from God, inspired by God, that gives us the truth of how this world came into existence. I've said to you, I think it's somewhat fantastical for someone to believe that we just evolved. One person with all the complexities of a human body could ever just possibly come from nothing with no designer, much less two people who are complementary, who are different, who are able to reproduce. It just, to me, it's just fantastical. There's no way that that could have possibly happened. In a related sense... How about even the complexity of the human language, communication? Uh, those who would be uh, evolutionists somehow think that human language began with a few grunts. Now, some of your wives, some of the wives may believe that. I, but in all seriousness, the complexity of the human language, how could that just evolve and we could communicate without some designer who gave us language to begin with. And so as we look at Genesis chapter 11, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, his father, he fathered Arkpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arkpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. 
When, and Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he, fa- he fathered Sarag. And Ru lived after he fathered Sarag 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarag had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarag lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, these are the descendants of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. In the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah, now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai's daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is The Lord Confused the Language of All the People. It's what we find in the text here in Genesis chapter 11. What I would say to you as you think about this first verse of chapter 11, that the whole earth had one language in the same words, that communication is a gift from God. God is a good God, and he gives good things. Communication is one of those gifts that God's given us so that we could understand his love, and then that we could express love back to him, and we could express his love to each other. What a good God that we have, that he would give us this wonderful gift of communication. So, what's the problem? What, what went wrong here? Why are we terrible at speaking and listening and responding? It it goes awry. We have issues in our homes. We have issues among friends. We have issues in our family, even our church family at times, with communication. As we've learned from Genesis, especially chapter 3, all problems, specifically communication, all the communication problems in our world are the direct result of sin. It's bottom line. Like all good gifts, we corrupt, we distort, we misuse the gifts that God has given us, and communication puts on full display this problem of sin that we have. What is in our hearts, this heart problem of sin, is fully exposed when we open our mouths. It comes out and it tells on us our sinfulness, our sick hearts, and our need for a Savior. Listen to how James puts it in James 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Again, when your kids are fighting, when your parents are fighting, 
when your friends are fighting, where, where does it come from? Well, it's, it's a heart problem. It's a sin problem that we have. Here are some ways our sin is communicated. You, you think, well, it's not that hard to communicate. But again, think of the complexity here and the hearing and the listening and the responding. You can just say the wrong thing. And as sinners, we will. Remember one of our sayings that I like to remind you of, if you're not regularly apologizing, you're not accurately seeing yourself. Because you're going to mess up. You're going to sin. You're going to hurt someone, their feelings. You're, you're going to offend them in some kind of way. And bottom line, because you're a sinner, you can just say the wrong thing. Now, you can say the wrong thing in the right way. You've said it wrongly, but maybe you've convinced someone of your wrong statement because you said it in the right way. You can say the right thing in the wrong way. You can say the right thing at the wrong time. Especially during a ball game, right? (laughs) You can say the right thing understood in the wrong way. And we could just keep making a list. I I just want you to see this thing of communication is not easy. And when you figure in the heart and the sin problems we have, it complicates it even further. Paul doesn't pull any punches in describing this problem in Romans 3. Listen to what he said. None is righteous. No, not one. And this hurts. Their throat is an open grave. The things that come out of our hearts, it's like... They stink like if you walked into the corruption of a dead body after a while. The decay of a, of a dead body. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. It's not a very pretty picture when you actually look at how communication is turned in such a sinful way. So come back with me now to Genesis chapter 11. About a hundred years after the flood, the human race, probably around a hundred, excuse me, a thousand people, some say maybe up to 3,000 people, agreed to rebel against God again. Now, you might notice back up in verse 25 of chapter 10, it says the Eber was were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. I think that's where the Tower of Babel fits in to the historical picture. So in, in one way, we have chapter 10 telling us that history is going along. It's happening just as God planned. Things are moving along, but We don't really know why there's so many different languages that are described in chapter 10. And it's like God says, well, I'm going to give you uh, the inside story here, what really happened. I'm going to show you the details. He doesn't show us the details of everything. But there are some things he gives us the details and says, this is how it happened. This is why we have so many different languages. And again, if you were to go and read some of the views of evolutionists as to why there's so many different languages, that doesn't make a lot of sense. This makes a lot of sense as God is historically showing us, chronologically showing us why we have so many different languages here on earth. So the first thing that we see in chapter 11 is the disobedience that comes out of ungodly communication, the disobedience. Verse 2, and as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, 
and settled there, and they said to one another. You get this idea of communication? They said to one another. It comes back when we get the discipline that God gives them, and it has a lot to do with their communication and their language. But right here, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So you see the plan that they're unfolding here. May not have sounded so bad at first. Let's just make a bunch of bricks. Now, ultimately, the end result is this tower that they'll all just stay in this one region. But usually, sin doesn't sound as bad when you first start talking about it. Somebody even will talk to you about something, and they can make it sound pretty good. But if it's not according to the plan of God, it's wrong. It's sinful. It's, it's disobedient. And so I'm sure up front, they had no idea what this is getting ready to cost them. They're just talking about sin and disobedience. Now, up to this point, we're not really hearing that it's disobedient. But that's what they're saying. Let's make bricks. And then verse 4 And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops to the heavens. goes a little further now. Not only see the plan, but the power that they're bringing together collectively. They're going to build a city and a tower. They're going to do something that they think is a great accomplishment, a tower up to the heavens. And so they're willing to go to great lengths here to do something Uh, And when we do something together, it does seem like we can accomplish more. And if we're not doing something together for the glory of God, then we're going to accomplish a lot maybe. It's just going to be for the wrong reason and dishonor God. And there will be consequences that will come as a result of that. So God made us to work together. He meant for that to be the way that we Uh, lived our lives with Adam and Eve. They were to be in harmony. And we see uh, what happened even as sin entered the world and the disagreement and the violence and all that has flowed out of sin. And it's the gospel, it's the Savior who is to come, who will make things right, who gives us the ability to be able to work together for godly reasons. But here they have a plan and because they're, able, they're willing to do it together, they have the power to do something pretty incredible as they think about building this city and this tower. But notice, we began to see really the heart behind it. This is not a good thing. And you see their hearts being revealed in ver- at the second part of verse 4. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So you see their pride. It's easy to make life about you. It's easy for me to make life about me. In my marriage, is my wife doing what I want her to do? Is she treating me like I want her to treat me? Is she? I can make it all about me as opposed to being concerned with, are we putting on display the relationship between Christ and the church? Am I living up to what God's called me to do? Being more concerned about, am I following God and doing what God wants me to do? You, you see, we can make... Uh, our, our whole family about me instead of the glory of God. We can make our church about me instead of the glory of God. We can make our entire entire lives about me instead of the glory of God. And they were doing that. Let us make a name for ourselves. 
You see, are you living your life for the glory of God? Are you living your family? Are you doing what God's called you to do? Sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes it will cost you a huge price to do something for the glory of God. But that's exactly what Jesus said. If anyone would be his follower, he must come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is more in line with the serpent who wanted the worship and the praise of God and was cast out of heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, the pride, when we make it about me. And and obviously, this is where it really comes into play, lest we be dispersed. This, This is the perverseness of where sin was taking them. This is just outright rebellion against God. God had clearly said... In chapter 1 and in chapter 9, when he first created the world and after he had sent the global flood, when Noah and his family got off the ark, he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He meant for them to spread across the earth because his glory would be spread. That's He wanted the world to experience the absolute best, the absolute goodness of God. Out of his generosity, he created us to know him and enjoy him. And he wanted his glory spread throughout the world so that more would enjoy the glory of God. And this group of people, just in outright rebellion and disobedience, they were going to stay where they were. And it it stated, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole world. Now, think about sin for a minute and what it really looks like to God. When you or anyone follows our own path instead of God's, we're offending him and insulting him and putting ourselves above God. John Owen Listen to what he said about sin. The incomprehensible, infinite, and most perfect holiness or purity of God is the cause why he hates and detests all sin. I I think because we live in the world and we live around sin a lot, we minimize it and we don't make much of it. We take it lightly. Oh, well, that's just a little thing here, a little thing there. And we don't see sin like God sees sin. But because God is so holy, so incomprehensible in his purity, he can't help but to hate and detest all sin. And so that's why I use this word perverseness because anytime we turn from what God's design and what God's way is, we're perverting the very reason that God put us here on earth. And I know it's a strong word, but sin is a strong act against a holy God. Don't take sin lightly. God didn't. Look what he was willing to sacrifice to pay for sin. He sent his one and only son. He didn't take it lightly. And of course, that's what we all run to, the cross. Because we can't save ourselves. There's only one way, only one price that was paid, and that was through Jesus himself. So we we see disobedience out of ungodly communication. The second thing I want you to note with me is the discipline as a result of ungodly communication. 
Notice back in verse 5, and the Lord God came down to see the city. Now, I love what John Piper says about this, and the Lord came down, because it is anthropomorphic language. I mean, God is present. God is everywhere. He's, he's omnipresent, but it's like a holy mockery of mankind here. Here they're going to build this tower that reaches up to heaven, and God in his holiness and in his uh, uh, transcendence can't even see it so little and dinky and small. Now again, we know God is everywhere and God sees all things, but it's that kind of, you guys think you're doing something that's meaningful and powerful and big? No, I don't think so. God had to come down to see this little thing. In the New American Commentary, uh, I, I like how uh, Kenneth Matthews says this, we see a tiny tower conceived by a puny plan attempted by pint-sized people. <laughs> I, I hope you're not offended by that. But then again, I hope you are. Because that's who we all are. We're so, we're so small. We're so little. It's amazing to the psalmist David when he says, what is man that you're even mindful of us? As great and majestic and powerful as our God is, what, what are we that you're even mindful of us, that you would even care about us? And so God disciplines us because he loves us, because he is mindful of us, because he did create us. And those who are following him, he disciplines us because he loves us. And so not only did he come down but verse 6 says, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. It's almost like this unanimous humanity in Noah's day that were all bent on evil. It was all inclined toward evilness. And God said he would not destroy the earth by water again. That's why we have the rainbow after rain. It's a reminder of the mercy of God and the promises that he gives us. And so when you, when you look at this, you see the mercy of God because God said, I'm not going to wipe you all out again. So instead of wiping you all out again, I'm going to break you up so you're not all bent on evil and all on the same thing again. You're not going to be able to communicate clearly with one another. And so he broke them up into people groups with different languages. And so now, again, I know the discipline is tough when we disobey God, but notice why God does discipline in Hebrews 12. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. I know as parents discipline their kids, when they're little, those spankings come along. I know when they get older, there are other kinds of consequences that we give. And in the moment, a child thinks they're going to die in the midst of some of that discipline. It's painful, but it's good for them that they understand consequences and how to respect authority. And for God to discipline us, it shows that he is a loving and a kind and a good God to us. And even to come down was a gracious act of God showing his mercy on them. 
There are other times that the Bible speaks of God coming down. Remember when the uh, it, when the Israelites were in bondage to Egypt later on and God came down to deliver them. And of course, primarily we think about Jesus. When Jesus left the glory of heaven and he came down as our rescuer from sin. Well, let's think also about the dispersion here that took place. Notice in verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them. From there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. What great mercy. They deserve to be annihilated, just like the people in Noah's day were. But God showed his mercy. We see a pattern of rebellion against God. And then God's showing mercy on people. We see that through the Old Testament. We see it through Genesis. We see it through history of how God works. Sometimes we look back and we say, how could those people be that dumb to keep making the same mistakes over and over again? And then we realize, "Uh uh-oh, that's me too. The dispersion was protection from ourselves, others, and even his wrath. If God were not at work in our lives, we we would self-destruct. And if God wasn't holding back with some restraint the power of the enemy and the world itself, the church and God's people would have already been wiped out. And so God restrains all of that to another time. But even his wrath himself that we've already dis- discussed, we would be wiped out. And, and let me say one more word about unity. Because unity is, is good. Unity is important. It's a powerful witness in our community. Sometimes new people come into our church and they say, we, we like how you're leading in a worship service where the older and the younger come together and you have old hymns and new hymns and we enjoy that. We even like that young guy up front. Not me. I know that may be who you've been thinking. The the young guy up front because it it shows uh, the intergenerational aspect. Now, newer folks may not realize that some of our older folks had to pay a price to say, you know, we're, we're willing to sing some of those newer songs. And some of our younger folks had to pay a price to say, you know what, we're willing to sing some of those older songs because there's a greater value in the unity of the body that we would come together and worship together. And, and that's what Jesus said in John 17, the power of unity, of coming together as the people of God, that it would show the glory of God. On this earth, everything pulls us apart. We live in a divided world more than I think any of us can, even, can remember, no matter how old we are. And it's the work of God that brings us together and causes us to love one another and sacrifice for one another and bless one another and encourage one another. So unity is important, but not at the expense of purity, godly character, or ministry, the Great Commission. So God protects us, but he also gives us a priority. The priority for his glory and making known his story. That's our job. 
We're, we're to spread the glory of God. There, that, that's what he's called us to do. I was reading a chapter in a book called Finish the Mission, and it was describing most of the people today. Listen to what they said. The majority of people in the majority of churches are unengaged in meaningful ministry and mission. They will come for a show, but they won't serve. Let this never be said about Lawndale Baptist Church. May we fight and pray and pursue our great and glorious God in obedience to doing the work he's given us. Yes, we gather, but when we gather, we gather to scatter and do ministry and mission. We gather to train and we then scatter as we send. As we send people into their homes to do the work of God in their families. As we send people in their neighborhoods. As we send people to a different neighborhood like the Reedy Fork neighborhood. Or we send people to another part of the nation. Or we send someone to another nation all together. The dispersion. I would say it has to get personal for you. Think about this dispersion for a minute. Jesus taught us, when we look in the New Testament, that we're to go and make disciples. We're not to sit and be entertained and, and, and come for a show. We're, we're to be equipped. We're to come and worship our great God and become more like him and be equipped through the preaching of his word so that we can be sent to do the work that he's given us. It has to get personal for you. What about your home and your family, your neighborhood, the people that live around you, your coworkers, your classmates? Do you know that you're responsible for the people that God has put in your path? You're responsible for the people that God's put around you for godly purposes and influences. So who are you having a godly influence on? Who are you praying for? Who are you sharing the gospel with? In some ways, when I read the Tower of Babel and then I read through the book of Acts, there are a lot of parallels. But one of those parallels is that the church had clustered around Jerusalem. That's where it was originating. I mean, Jesus said go to Jerusalem uh, when he was ascending back into heaven and he said that that's where they would receive the Spirit. And so they're gathered in this upper room and the church begins to grow and there are thousands of them and God didn't mean for them to all be clustered together. Remember what Jesus had said to them in Acts 1-8, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so God began to move in that body to disseminate and to disperse and he sent persecution And when you read about that in Acts 8-1, when the persecution started, the believers scattered and preached the gospel all over the world. It's important to gather. I would say to anybody, if you don't gather with the church, if you're physically able, if you don't gather with the church, you're disobedient. Because the Bible clearly tells us that we shouldn't forsake the assembling together of ourselves. So I'm not saying it's not important to gather I'm just saying it's equally important to scatter to go to be sent to do the work that God's given us every member is a missionary some some stay some go nationally some go internationally but let's pull it together this morning from Genesis again 
How did we get here? It's the big picture of Genesis 1 through 11. 1 through 11. How do we get here? God created each person. You're here because God put you here. You're not here because of your own merit or your own goodness or your innate abilities or your trained abilities or your finances or whatever. You're not here because you deserve to be here. You're here on earth because God put you here. Why are you here? You're here to know him and to enjoy him and to glorify him. You're not here just to build your kingdom and to make a name for yourself. You're here for the glory of God. What's God saying to us right now through his living and active word that we're to be doing at home in our neighborhoods uh, and all over the nations? Why are we here? We're here to know him, enjoy him, and glorify him. And, of course, what went wrong? It's, It's the sin. We see the sin that would have taken on greater magnitude had God not made many languages and people groups. And we see the sin in our own lives when we're disobedient to the most important thing that God's called us to do as his people, and that's to make disciples. As as you look through the rest of the chapter, you see Shem's descendants. That's going to be the line that the Messiah comes through. It's a wonderful thing as we see God working out his plan and his sovereignty for his glory. And, and then in particular, you, you see that line going through Abraham and Sarah. Their names before they were changed, Abram and Sarah. Sarah, God is working to bring about his purposes because this Nation that God's going to make from Abram in chapters 12 through 26, this nation of Israel, the Jewish people, God intends for them to be his chosen people, to be a missionary nation to all the other nations, to help all the other nations know this great and mighty and majestic God. But of course, they disobey. But the Savior, the Messiah, will come through that people and he will, he will live a perfect life. He will die a sacrificial death. He will be raised a supernatural resurrection. And those who place their faith in him become a part of his family, his church. That we live out this mission that he's given us. When this church was first started... After Jesus' ascension, he sent the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Listen to what happens because it parallels to the Tower of Babel. If you've not put the day of Pentecost together with the Tower of Babel, you're going to appreciate this. Verses 5 and 6 of Acts 2. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They had come back for this feast. And they were all from all nations speaking different languages. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. You see the power of the gospel? What, what was scattered, God is able to bring together again under the umbrella of the gospel So now people from all nations, all all backgrounds, all skin colors, all whatever we want to say, all people have this opportunity to come together under the umbrella of Jesus Christ again. 
That's what the day of Pentecost was about. God bringing his people together from all these nations. God is getting glory in all the nations. It's interesting because there are places that we see as enemies of our own nation, or at least competitors of our own nation. And many of them have as many Christians in their nations as we have here in America. God has his people all over the world, and one day they'll all be joined together. Revelation chapter 5 in verse 9 gives us this picture of the people of God gathered around the throne of God. In Revelation 5 verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. God has done for us what we could not do ourselves. And in heaven, all the people who claim the name of Jesus, all those who've placed their faith in his death and resurrection and confessed him as Lord, they're his followers, they'll all be gathered around. It doesn't matter what nation they're from. And God is doing his work, sending his people to the nations. Some people have said it like this, God sends us to our neighbors and to the nations. Is our heart where God's heart is for our neighbors and for the nations? If you don't know Christ today, you won't be gathered around that throne. You won't know in this life the joy he can give, plus you won't know what the next life has to offer with him forever. It's only through Christ If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, he's done all the work for you. He has has died on the cross, paid the debt that you couldn't pay. He lived the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that that you deserved. And he rose from the dead so that you could be a part of the family of God. We will have pastors here this morning who would love to talk with you about how you can be a part of the family of God. Maybe God's calling you to reach your neighbors. Maybe God's calling you to the nations. If he's calling you, we would invite you to to come and share that as well. And maybe God's just calling us to come and pray today that we might do the work that he's given us. Let's pray. Father, in these next moments, would you take the power of your word and convict hearts that we would not be satisfied with where we are knowing that you have a plan and a mission for us to take this gospel all over the world I pray for those this morning who are with us that haven't yet surrendered their lives to you may may this be their day I pray too for others who maybe have been more satisfied with where they are that you will give us hearts even now to press on for the prize of the high calling to which we've been called to press on to take the gospel to our neighbors and the nations in jesus name we pray amen